1: Welcome to the Black and Gold Bannerhead podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy on this uh, busy fall or fall. What am I talking about? Spring uh, uh, show as we start the month of April. We've got uh, well, this is kind of like we kind of sense the sports year kind of starting to throttle out of fifth gear a little bit because we got the final four coming up next week or this coming weekend rather um we've got uh you know baseball is bit ba- you know in conference play softballs in conference play and it's coaching season and we got some hall of fame talk to get to actually so um i don't know guys do you feel like it gets busier this time of year with a whole bunch of stuff going on or is it like you, you start kind of breathing a little easier
2: no it's great i slept last night it was so much fun <laughs> it really I, 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 makes today, fun like i woke up today like Today today is like the first day that I haven't really had to do anything like sports writing wise in a long time. So this Wednesday has been wow. fantastic. I listened to like just 20 podcasts and ate pita bread. It was really a
1: great day for me. That sounds <laughs> great. Was there hummus involved? I hope there was hummus You, involved. You bet there was Five involved. different varieties. Yeah, some, you let's got
2: that this. spicy red pepper hummus. You got yes. the garlic oil. Yes. Yeah.
1: Now we're talking. Um. <laughs> The uh so we are Black and Gold Banneret, the uh, home of UCF Sports on SB Nation. Uh, you can follow us at UCF underscore banneret on Twitter, Facebook.com slash black and gold banneret, and of course black and gold banneret dot com. Follow us individually at Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez Zelo, and spokes underscore Murphy. All right, so let's let's dive in with kind of like where we left off last week and where we left off last week was, Oh my God, Johnny Dawkins might be leaving. Um, turns out that that's not exactly going to happen. Um, things kind of got very hot and heavy and then they quieted down just like we thought was happening at the time. And it turns out that Vanderbilt is now making a move toward Jerry Stackhouse, uh, a former, obviously the former North Carolina, so a long NBA player. Um, Becoming their head coach, he's currently an assistant coach right now. But um, nonetheless, Johnny Dawkins' name is going to be consistently coming up in uh, in coaching circles around a number of things, around a number of potential openings, both maybe right now and then maybe coming as a result of what's happening right now. So, real quick, I do want to touch upon this because there's not too much news to talk about. But um, uh, Brian Murphy, you've been following this situation for quite some time now. What is the latest scuttlebutt, if you will, surrounding Johnny Dawkins?
2: Uh, That it's not Vanderbilt. And if it's not Vanderbilt, then maybe it's Virginia Tech because Virginia Tech's Buzz Williams is going to Texas A&M. And if it's not Virginia Tech, then maybe it's TCU because TCU's Jamie Dixon is going to UCLA. And really, it's probably none of those things because really, at at the end of it, it sounds like uh, that no news is good news for UCF. Then he'll probably just stay here. And we wasted wasted some time, but... uh, (laughs) That, that what is, are you talking about? Is, we got
1: some good hashtag content out of this.
2: We got some hashtag content out of it. And isn't that all what, what Johnny Dawkins
1: and all of us really wanted being in? I know. We we appreciate that, uh, Coach Dawkins. I will say this, though. I, I don't get – I'm not going to rest easy until I hear something from UCF. I would imagine that we would hear something about – you know possibly an extension is that right i mean it's uh, maybe not or maybe if not an extension maybe a renegotiation and a raise perhaps no yeah,
2: probably you know definitely there something will happen uh but it, it certainly sounds like that there was that there's no like if there was smoke there you know if there was any fire now there's like no smoke so right uh, there's, there there's was a lot of smoke.
1: like we were like we were asphyxiating there for a second and then
0: well but this i mean how much of the smoke was real and how much of the smoke was like non i mean bs i mean you know yeah. bad order i mean i mean I'm, i mean I, I figured i figured murph that johnny Dawkins maybe is going to be close to a done deal at all three places you just mentioned that might be available i mean why not you know i mean <laughs> let's just throw <laughs> yeah. that out there because i think we once again i think social media has kind of hurt the media's uh I don't know, perception, if you will, because I think John Alba from Spectrum Sports had it accurately. I think Vanderbilt was interested in Johnny Dawkins. I think the other reporting was not accurate. And when you depend on a Vandy booster or donor, you're probably not, that's probably not a good source to have. Well,
1: I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't think that, it, it, that those are bad sources. I just think that it, 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 how the story gets characterized is really is really what the difference is. I think everyone got taken aback by the whole, you know, the the two words that kind of like really stood out, obviously, were done deal, or four words close, rather. Close, close to, to a, done. a done deal, right? And John, to his credit, you know, did pull back on that and say, you know, yeah, they're interested, but it's not close to a done deal here. You know, they're still... Lots to go. There's still lots to go about with this. So I mean, so that's fair. I, I, I think that, you know, John deserves um, credit for kind of throttling that back. Last week on the podcast, you know, Ken kind of w- was a little worried about that that level of, um, you know, uh, assertiveness, I'd say. And we kind of expressed that to him. I, I thought that they treated it um, fairly. For the, but, to clarify,
0: John was not the one that reported that it was a done deal. He just said that Vandy right. was interested. Right. Which is true. You know, it, yeah, I know. I agree. I think John was right. I think John did a good job. Yeah. I just think when we jumped in and, you know, when you're on you know, Twitter, I think this is where Twitter kind of can be harmful. You know, you're coming out with source. source tells me it's pretty close to a done deal. I mean, it's a booster, a booster light. Here's the thing. i have having hung out with donors. One thing they like to do is talk and they like to talk even if they don't really know what's going on, they want to pretend they know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I think you sometimes get caught in a situation like that. And especially in this off where
1: everybody's talking, but then it becomes a semantic thing, right? I think that's really where the whole thing kind of fell apart a little bit. It was a little bit more of a semantic, a a semantic thing. And that's the trouble that they ran into, but at least for the moment, and we did want to update everyone on that, but Johnny Dawkins is still the head coach of UCF. (laughs) And I'm very
0: confident that he will be. I um, yeah. Well I, I I think again, just like last week, people were speculating that Calvin Sampson was gonna leave to go to Arkansas, and I said no, he was negotiating that week, and it was gonna come down to if Houston would make some concessions. And what happened? Looks like they've made some concessions and he's gonna stay.
2: So I mean I think the and the lack of reporting from those who are really always in the know your your yeah. Jeff Goodman's or John Rothstein's. I mean, it really tells you there's nothing there's – no, there's, there, there's no there there for Johnny yeah. Dawkins.
0: Especially yeah. At those least. two are very they, – they know the Dawkins circle very well. Goodwin yes. was the one that broke the story that Dawkins got hired by UCF in the first place a few years back. And Rothstein was with Dawkins in the studio on uh, this past Friday when Dawkins was the guest for their uh, CBS coverage.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, true. So, so can we so, – so last question, quick yes or no. Can we exhale a little bit here? Yeah. I mean, okay. is I mean,
2: I, I can't say hundred thousand percent. I mean, I I will not say that he's a hundred thousand percent UCF's coach uh, next season, but like it's like ninety nine point nine 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 percent. Fair enough.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, let's move on. <laughs> um, it's all right. So we've been looking forward to getting getting these out here for you because it's Hall of Fame season at UCF, and we talked we we talked about the class of Hall of Famers that came out. Um. Uh, this, this year, I think, actually, probably probably the best Hall of Fame class in terms of recognizable names that we've ever had going into the UCF Hall of Fame. We've spoken to Alini Reyes, right, Eric Lopez? Um, sure, she was fantastic when she was in town uh, with Brazil for the uh, She Believes Cup. Um, and we are efforting to get or try and get as many of the Hall of Fame class members as we possibly can. And uh, lo and behold, we got really lucky this week, didn't we, Eric?
0: We did. We got the, the man, the, the myth, the legend, Kevin Smith, will be jo- joining us here. We had a chance to talk to him. A uh, very rare interview. Obviously, he's an assistant now at FAU. So they're, they're usually not allowed to talk. Uh, yeah, about Lane, Lane Kiffin has
1: taken a page out of, uh, out of uh, Nick Saban's policies regarding assistant coaches talking to the media, which I'm sure he wrote up after Lane Kiffin was there.
0: Probably. <laughs> but... We didn't talk FAU football because, well, you know, it doesn't matter. We, we talked about Kevin's career because it's right, rightfully so. It's arguably the greatest career in UCF football history. And you talk about conversations about who's the best UCF football player of all time. Kevin Smith's on that list. He's on that list, uh, Jeffrey. And then it was kind of cool to catch up with him and talk to him about his career and how it started at UCF and, and the turning point and in his career. And really a turning point, a moment in his career, a turning point that was a negative in his playing career That may have turned into a positive and changed his life and his direction of his his life.
1: Right. All right. So without further ado, here he is, 24K, UCF's all-time leading rusher, Kevin Smith. (laughs) All right. And here he is, the all-time great, UCF's all-time leading rusher. He ran for 2,567 yards in 2007, was a Heisman candidate, 29 touchdowns. His name is all over UCF's record book, and here he is, the one, the only, the great Kevin Smith, joining us on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. What's going on, 24K? How are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Doing great, Kevin.
0: Now, how does it feel to be inducted into your UCF Athletics Hall of Fame like you will be on April 12th?
3: Well, you know, it hasn't, uh, it hasn't set in entirely, but, uh, you know, it's a great feeling. Obviously, and it's just you know, I'm a representation of that university and of the you know being an alumni, being able to have great teammates, play for a great head coach. uh, Obviously, it's 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 good to represent the university and represent the teammates that I played with for three years.
1: Kevin, it's you're still so revered up here in Orlando. Um, You know, it's there's like a glow that comes about when people talk talk to you. Tell me about the first time you got a phone call from George O'Leary saying, I want you to come to UCF.
3: Well, you know, it's actually pretty funny because, you know, I'm actually working with two coaches who were on UCF staff at the time, Lance Thompson and DJ McCarthy. And, you know, there was a little discrepancy. I I heard there were some guys that that watched my film that weren't sold, Uh, so You know, whoever it was took my film down to Coach O'Leary, and, you know, he kind of okayed to to be able to take me at the running back position. And, uh, you know, I just remember actually meeting O'Leary before I talked to him. Uh, I came home from school one day, and, you know, about 10 minutes later, he was at my front porch, and, you know, the rest is kind of history.
1: Wow, that's kind of that's that's kind of old school recruiting, right? I mean, you know, there you are in Miami, and here comes George O'Leary saying, "What do? Let me tell you about UCF, right?"
3: Yeah, no doubt. Especially because around then, I I think I I didn't I didn't get a cell phone until college, so I had a beeper. So I know we definitely didn't speak, but I I saw him when he came to the house.
1: When you came to UCF in 2005, you made an immediate impact. You had you had 1,100 yards your first year, nine touchdowns. You played alongside Brandon Marshall, who, along with Coach O'Leary and you, is also being inducted into the Hall of Fame. What is it? Uh, what does it mean for you to be inducted alongside those two guys?
3: It's a special group. Uh, you know, Brandon Marshall was a great teammate. Uh, he's like a brother. I love him to death. And then, you know, I have the utmost respect for Coach O'Leary uh, to this day. We talk often, uh, especially if I'm in the coaching business, he's a big mentor and you know, I love Coach O'Leary. So the the going with those two guys, especially Coach O'Leary, uh, I couldn't ask to go in with with a better group of guys.
0: Have you reflected on your three years there, Kevin, and what it was like? I mean, you mentioned you know, you know, Jeff mentioned that freshman year, he made an immediate impact, helped the turnaround. I mean, going the team was winless in '04, and here you turn them in o5 to a bowl te- uh bowl season, going up to Hawaii, and then. Two years later, you have that magical year over 2,000 yards, winning your first-ever conference title and going to the Liberty Bowl. Have you reflected on those three years?
3: Yeah, you know, it It helps now because, you know, I'm in the coaching business and, you know, I'm here to serve and inspire. And me being able to coach the same position I played, you know, that it, I'm able to think about it when I make a reference on pretty much how I got there for the most part, the process that it took. Uh, to be able to come in and play as a freshman, you know, to to do that. Forget, you know, how many yards I did, but to be able to come out and be a starter as a freshman, obviously you have to be very, very mature. Uh, so when I think about all the things I did in the past, it's only because most of the time I'm using it as a reference uh, for the guys that I'm serving right now, which are the FAU running backs.
1: If if you could take us back to your UCF career and you could pick out one play that you remember as well as any other play in your entire career you carry the ball 905 times what's the one carry that you always go back to and remember that like that if I could pick out one carry from my UCF career this is the one I would want playing on a loop all
3: right well I gotta go too and the reason why I have to go too because if I don't tell you the first one you probably never hear Kevin Smith uh I remember being a freshman and you know being kind of buried on the depth chart. I was probably number seventh on the depth chart, and I just remember going through camp. Uh, and obviously, when you're playing with, you know, you're on the third and fourth line, it's not as good. Uh, so the production is, is probably not going to be as good. And I just remember, Coach O'Leary, we were in the indoor during camp, and we were running 46 power. And I remember saying, I wanted to see number 24 go with the ones. And I got that carry, and I scored. And I started every other game in my career. So that's how I kind of get to this next play, which would be, for me, it's probably going to be the uh, Nevada and the Hawaii Bowl. Uh, and it was my longest run that at that point of my career. And the reason why, you know, that's probably the one that sticks out because I was never really a fast guy, but that kind of catapulted me to the understanding that I could make long runs. And, you know, that came after my freshman year, but, you know, there were much more to follow. So that one pretty much sticks out to me as, you know, something I believe got me going and gave me a lot of confidence along the way.
1: Gosh, that's such a great answer because, you know, I think that if you ask UCF fans, what's the one play you remember from Kevin Smith, the two that they would come up with would be the first play of the season against NC State up in Raleigh, where he went, I think, 80 yards for a touchdown on the first play. And then the long touchdown run that kind of capped off the conference championship against Tulsa, as well. But, you know, like you said, it, it, it's got to start somewhere. And those are the ones that you remember where, you know, you proved that you could that you could make it and make it happen. Did you you know, when when you got to when you think back to like 2007 and before the season happened, did you really think that you know, that a season like that for you was even possible? Because when I look back on it, man, you looked like you know, an all-star Madden player playing on, like, rookie mode, right? I mean, you were faster and bigger than everybody else, and to run for 2,500 yards is just incomprehensible. Did you think that was even possible at that that point?
3: Well, you know, for me to sit there and say that, you know, the exact number or even have an idea of running over 2,000 yards, you know, I I didn't know what was possible. But I do know that summer and that spring – Uh, mainly the summertime, Uh, I worked hard as I could ever work. Uh, There was a defining moment in my career when I got suspended from the South Florida game for violating team rules. And that, to me, made me change my outlook and perspective on the opportunity to play this game. And I just remember working very, very hard. I wrote down my goals, you know, that upcoming uh, season during the offseason, and I'm very close with – Dr. Thad Rivers, who at that time was our equipment manager. And I remember handing him over a note card and writing down something along of like 1,600 yards and 18 touchdowns. But I knew I set a personal goal because I, I had been working so hard. And, you know, the rest just kind of showed what type of team I had and definitely what type of uh, offensive line I had to be able to run for that many yards. But I, I knew I was going to have a good season. Uh, but I I didn't know it was going to be that special, but we, we, we worked extremely hard to, to produce on the field.
0: What made that team so special? I've talked to your former teammate Kyle Israel. He jokes you know, he had the best seat in the house and just handing the ball off to you, but you mentioned that offensive line. That was a great offensive line. Josh Sitton was a part of that. Uh, Your receivers had a great job blocking, but talk about that team and what made it special because Jeff brought up the NC State win, but you know, there were still questions early in the year after the South Florida game, how good that team would be, and you guys just took off after that.
3: I think it was, I think it was the chemistry. It was the chemistry. I think it was the bond, the love we had for each other. Uh, you know, I, I love Kyle Israel, So, you know, those same sentiments he shares about me, I, I share the same about him, Josh Stitt and Pat, Pat Brown, uh, Kyle Smith, we, we, you know, Cliff McCray. We, we just had a lot of chemistry. We loved each other. We worked hard. I remember my line telling me, hey, you know what, if, uh, if they if I want them to block for me, then I'm going to have to go hang with them in some of the spots that they hang in around campus, and I was more than willing. So I think, you know, the the 10-win the season and, and just the chemistry we had as a group, we worked so hard. Coach O'Leary pushed us past our limits and challenged us, and it, it made us get close. It made us It made us separate the coaching and understand that in order for us to be successful, we are going to be to have have to be the ones to do it. The coaches are going to guide us, but we're going to have to come together and ultimately put together wins. And I think you know that that was a year we did a great job of that.
0: Tell me about that game against Tulsa, which everybody remembers. That was the program's first ever conference championship. You just dominated that game. You were highlighted uh, throughout national, really, uh, throughout the national platform. take me through that game. What was that like to be a part of that game and that performance? And you know being a part of history i mean you always will be a part of that first ever conference championship and it was in a, on campus it was it was good i
3: mean we you know 2 years prior we had an opportunity against the same team and they beat us in orlando uh and you know us kind of having the same guys and there were some guys on that team who became seniors our seniors did a good job of leading us and we knew that you know having another opportunity we wanted to be locked in and focused and it was just one of those type things. Again, we had great chemistry. For me, uh, I was on a roll, and you know, I knew the role I that I that I had on the team. It was important for me to come out and do my best and perform well, and and do my part as a teammate. And like you said, it was you know you can never get that back. Uh, so we wanted to make sure that we we were able to lead this this you know that that school to their first you know conference championship. And it was a good feeling. I'll never forget these memories for the rest of my life. It's the only championship I ever won in my life. So I'm going to always hold on to that one. I
0: would say so. Do you remember getting compared to Barry Sanders? Because that was the big talk. Because Barry Sanders, you were chasing that rushing record. Uh, do you remember even, with, did you, or did you block that out from the media out there when you were chasing that NCAA rushing record?
3: I, I was very aware. I was aware. I wanted the record. I was aware of the record. Uh, and truth be told, if you kind of look back, and it doesn't really work out like that, so you can't speak hypothetically. But I'm pretty sure I could have got a lot closer because after after half and a certain amount of games, you know, SMU, Memphis, you know, I wasn't even in the game. But you know, approaching that record, it, it was important for 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 me. It was important for the line. Obviously, you know, the win was the one thing we were focused on. But if we can get the record, you know, while we were getting the win, it would have been good. Obviously, we didn't get the win. We didn't get the record. So it was just, you know, it's good to be in that type of conversation. It's good to put yourself in, in that type of situation and give yourself an opportunity. And, you know, sometimes you accomplish them, sometimes you don't, but the feeling was still good, and it was special nonetheless.
1: We're talking with Kevin Smith, the great UCF running back here on the Black and Gold Banner Podcast. Kevin, when you made it to the NFL, you played five years in Detroit, um, you, you know, it, it, it's you know, everyone can talk about that area in Detroit and, you know, how and, and how that set the table for where that franchise is now. But I, I guess my question for people, who, you know, for the mere mortals among us who, you know, don't understand what it's like to, to play in the NFL, just you know, des- describe for us as best you can the leap from college football to the NFL and just how much of a grind. It is in that league because I just because I, I a lot I think a lot of people think you know stuff translates from one thing to the other, but it's just a whole different animal in, in the league, isn't it?
3: Yeah, you 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 have to know what you're signing up for. The one thing that you know I preach to the players who in same position is when you get to the NFL, it's a business. The good thing is coming from UCL, playing for George O'Leary. Every guy who plays for George O'Leary could come back and tell you that. He had you ready for the NFL. There's a method behind the way he made you come 15 minutes early to meetings. You know, if it was a 7:30 meeting, if you arrived at 7:15, you were probably late. Uh, and those were the habits that obviously help you as a professional, learning how to come in late. I mean, learning how to come in early, staying late. Uh so the transition from that aspect was pretty smooth. But from the business side and From the athletic side, you know, it it takes you some time to get adjusted to playing against 260-pound linebackers that can move as fast as you, if not faster. And It is a grind, and you do have to be dedicated. You have to, you know, you have to be willing to be a learner and willing to to work harder than the next man in order to be able to provide for your family. So uh, going to the next level is a blessing. It's awesome, and, you know, me being at the university and I was at, like I said, and
0: playing for Coach O'Leary, there were some aspects that made the transition very, very smooth. It's pretty remarkable. And I appreciate you even more about Brandon and the success he's had in the NFL. You play with him of the year. And just to tell the audience what a phenomenal talent he was, because even before your arrival, he was playing defensive back in 2004. He was starting at defensive back, and then he turned a receiver, and he's turned into a, an incredible NFL career. What was it like being around Brandon at UCF and, you know, I don't know if you stayed in touch with him where you, while you guys were in the NFL or you looked at him when he was playing in the NFL when you were in the NFL? Yeah, Brandon sucked in college. <laughs> he was a
3: great team, i tell you what, so me and Joe Burnett, uh, which is, you know, pretty cool, we end up being whatever, freshmen, you know, conference freshmen, players, uh, first team freshmen or whatever, but we were roommates, and we made a vow. So we said, okay, when we come out the workouts coming into our freshman year during the summer, we're going to try to keep up with Brandon Marshall and Mike Walker. That was our only goal. We wanted to separate ourselves from the freshman pack, and when we had to run all those sprints and do all those agility drills. Brandon Marshall, you know, along with Mike Walker, those, those, those guys were the standard of where we wanted to get, and – it paid off and allowed us to work hard enough to to play as a freshman and be, you know, impact freshman. And just, you know, being teammates with Brandon was awesome. I always had a, love, a, 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 a real love for him as a guy, and I always knew he was super, super talented. It was important for me to see somebody that I played with go to the NFL and be able to watch Brandon. I remember watching Brandon come down on kickoff and being able to see him on Sundays when I was in the training room getting treatment, it really inspired me. And it, because I, I never once thought, I wasn't one of those kids that was like, yep, yeah, when I grow up, I'm going to the NFL. That just wasn't my surroundings. It wasn't my circumstances. So Brandon Marshall was uh, as big as an inspiration as, as anything in terms of me believing that I had what it takes to play at the next level. Because here it is. You know, I've competed with the guy. You know, I, I, I put up, you know, decent numbers. And he's in the NFL, so hey, you know what? If Brandon could play, maybe I can play at the next level. And we've been keeping in contact, you know, ever since. And that, you know, we're brothers. And you know, I I I've seen him last time. He's having another baby. He's he's had two kids already. We were when we were both in the league in 2010 when he was a Pro Bowler. Uh, I celebrated with him. Uh, so. I can't wait to see B Marshall again going to the Hall of Fame with him. But you know he was a great teammate, and he'll always be a brother to me. I got a lot of respect for Brandon Marshall.
1: Man, it's amazing how we all grow up so fast, isn't it?
3: Absolutely, it's amazing, it's scary.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, let me ask you this: what what really was the deciding factor in you deciding to go into coaching?
3: George O'Leary never thought I was going to ever be a coach. I never wanted to, never, you know. And so 2012, I, I say I retire, but more and more I think about it. You know, I have to get closer to admitting that I probably just gave up, uh, you know, that whole grind of not being in the league and working out and hoping up a team calls you. So, you know, I finally hung up my cleats and, you know, Christy Belden, who was my academic advisor at the time and was still there, She would always be on me. She's like a mother. Hey, you need to get your degree. I was like, yeah, okay, Christy. And then Coach O'Leary called me because I was always constantly around the program. No matter what, By week in the NFL, when I stopped playing, I would always, you know, UCF is family. It's home for me. So it it uplifted my spirit and made me feel good when I went back to Orlando, when I went back on campus. And I remember Coach O'Leary, you know, telling me, hey, you need to come get your degree. And how about why you do that? you intern with football and it pretty much, you know, was, was something that happened naturally. And I I believe this, and a lot of, you know, something I want to share with whoever decides to listen is, you know, I I think I was a pretty good college player. I, you know, injuries caught up to me in the pros and, you know, I, I, it was great to be able to even say I made it, but I firmly believe that I was, I, I played in the NFL all so I could coach football and, I'll be a lot better coach than I was a player as long as I continue to work hard. But, you know, George O'Leary has done a lot of things for me. So I I know people can understand why I love him so much. He gave me an opportunity to be a player. You know, he, he helped create a standard for me that allowed me to play at the next level. And he inspired me to give back to this game, what it gave to me and come back and serve young men. And, you know, every single day I leave my family and kiss them goodbye. I love what I do for a living, so I'm truly blessed.
0: That's remarkable, and and isn't that the impact George had? A lot of fans look at what the outside and the you know how he deals with the media, but I've heard stories that he's helped players even you know after football. And you you just brought up your example, but you're not the only one, is it? That's kind of the, the lasting impact that George has had on that program and a lot of the players.
3: One one of the great one, one of the great stand-up men of our, our time. All right, I mean everybody's different everybody had their ways of doing things and, you know, the perception was what, you know, people wanted it to be. But I tell you what, there are a lot of people that will let you know, you know, that that George did some things for them. I know myself included that, you know, their own family wouldn't do for him. He's a very, very giving person with a big heart and he's stern. And, you know, he's probably not for, for somebody who doesn't have tough skin, but when it comes to the heart, he has the biggest heart as, as anybody. And, again I, I i love that man forever i I can't say too many great i can't say you know I, I, there's not a amount of words I can continue to talk about how how george O'Leary impacts people and you know people really understand, but he's a great dude
1: I think you know it's it's so uh, it's poetic that you and coach o'Leary and Brandon all get. Voted into the UCF Hall of Fame at the same time, you know, I mean, it's from that era, UCF football that that we look back on now. I mean, it's already, what, 12 years gone by since then that that was the time that set UCF up for the success that it's that it's had now. And to see, you know, and it was so great, you know, even for us as alumni and fans and and media covering, it was it was so fun to see you come back and and coach at UCF. Um, and to see the success that you've had now um, at FAU under Coach Kiffin, you know it's uh, it, it's really awesome. We we always we're always looking to make sure that that, that you guys are doing well because we want you and, and the other guys who played with UCF to uh, to see great success. And it's been a lot of fun seeing you, Kevin Smith, uh, here with us on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Eric, you got a couple more questions for uh, for Kevin.
0: The only thing I'm going to say is I think on behalf of a lot of UCF fans and as a lot of fans of Kevin Smith, thank you for everything you've done. And, and, and do you realize the impact you've had? Because I know a lot of people that became fans of you and became fans of UCF because of you in a lot of ways. There's Heck, I have a number 24 UCF jersey because I was a student when you, play, when you started playing. So do you realize that impact that you've made on a lot of people in, 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 in the, here in the Central Florida area? Well, yeah, uh, I, I
3: feel it. I, I feel it with the love and here goes the deal. Like, you know, what I did as a player, Now that I'm a coach and, you know, a lot of these, you know, a lot of these kids, they don't, they don't really know. Uh, but I'm I most proudly, I, I think, you know, being a good person is allowed me to come back to Orlando and, and get complimented on, you know, how people feel about me. That that's all I really care about when, you know, cause someone comes to my funeral, maybe someone will bring up the yards that I ran for. But I'm pretty sure they're gonna share how how genuine I was and how I impacted their life as a human. So, you know, the the impact that I had on UCF, you know, I, I was I was just and still am giving back what UCF gave to me, and that's opportunity to become somebody and become something better than myself. And again, I I love all UCF community. I love the people in you know in Orlando and Again, I'm very thankful to be who I am, and, and if I'm an inspiration to to people, I want to make sure I continue to do things the right way. But I'm grateful for every single fan. I, I tried to do my best when I was a player. A lot of games I would stay out there one or two hours after, you know, with lines wrapped around the stadium. And, you know, as, as far as I can remember, I, I didn't turn down one. And, and you know, I always try to show my appreciation for the people who came and supported me, so I'm I'm, I'm thankful.
1: Kevin, we love you right back, man. Congratulations, and we're looking forward to seeing you in person. I think it's April 12th. Is that right? Is that the uh, is that the day of the induction?
3: April 12th in Orlando. But I got a great speech because here goes the deal. And I'm gonna tell him, you got to give me my speech time because this will be the only and the last time I have to get the the the, the to be inducted into something real special. So uh, <laughs> I can't wait to get with you know with everybody and see Coach O'Leary and see Brandon and talk about memories and you know. For me, it's gonna be emotional, and I'll try to hold it together. But you know, this is almost like the this is like the final step, like the almost the goodbye, in a, in a way of kind of just closing out a, a career and a lot of memorable moments with my coaches and my teammates.
1: Well, here's to that, and here's to the beginning of a of a, hopefully a very successful and lucrative and long career in coaching. Man, you've been so successful, you deserve it. Here's to here's to the best of beginnings in that too. Kevin Smith joining us here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Thanks Kevin, stay safe. We'll talk to you soon, all right?
3: Thank you. Appreciate y'all having me. Have a great day. All
1: right, thanks to 24K. What a great interview. He even stayed with us afterwards and um and shared some stories which uh which <laughs> which we appreciate him for and um and it's it, it, he's every bit as uh he's every bit as genuine as you think he is and um to see him succeed at fau uh under coach kiffin and he's having a real good time down there um is really is really fun to see i mean it seems hard to believe that he's an assistant coach in college football man time flies really quick doesn't it
0: it does it does he's got the passion for it and uh, he's really invested in it and it's i'm excited to see him friday april 12th he's excited to be inducted i mean to me I would pick him as the best football player in the program history. When you think about it, there's not a running back that's been as good as him. It's close. Whereas quarterbacks, there's been other great quarterbacks. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think back to that 07 year, I feel like if we had, what do you think about this, Jeff and Murph, I want you to chime in on this. Okay. As you were around this. Yeah. Had UCF had the social media presence that they do in the present back oh. then. And I know we, I think Kevin Smith would have a legit shot to win the Heisman. That's I, good well, bet. I
1: think, good. Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, I think he would have been that. He still he would have been a much more fun outside candidate. He would have been higher up in the race. I don't know if he would have won it. Two thousand seven. You know, there's actually a great series on uh, sbnation.com in the college football section about how two thousand seven was just the kookiest year in the history of college football, and UCF was part of that first ten win season, first conference championship. Kevin Smith um, and twenty five hundred yards for UCF and unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, just a, and, like, a like bizarre you, he, year that UCF was a part of.
2: A workhorse back, the likes of which I don't think we could ever see again oh, in yeah. college football. He had something like carries. 450, I 450 carries. I think that's still a record.
1: I think that's still a record, a Division One record. I'm not yes,
0: yes, and that's why I, I kind of chuckled. I remember Jeff when he was talking about, you know, I could have broken the record, but they rested me. At, like some of these games had to. I'm like, yeah. I hope they did. You carried. It yeah, they
1: gave time. him the ball every every single time. Like you know, it's- <laughs> I, I
0: I remember last year I did a story for Black and Go Banneret. I think it was like the. The top individual performances of all time, if you're uh, a black yeah. red. and a banner ed. And I reached out to a bunch of people. One of the people was Mark Daniels, obviously, who gave me quotes in the story. And I remember when I was talking, he talked about the fact think about this Kevin Smith had as many and more carries by himself that year than UCF the last two years have had during that year. And, and remember, look, think <laughs> about how UCF last two years have been successful running the football, but it's by committee, basically, through three guys get the ball. Kevin Smith by himself had more carries than yeah. all the, the, the entire UCF team combined each in 2017. I mean that's just insane. Um, it's
1: it's really, it's really phenomenal. And you know we could debate about whether or not you know may, did that season maybe have an effect on his professional career. Like it, because there's I always come back to that saying that you always hear, which is um, yeah, running backs always running backs only have so many carries left in them, right? And yeah. and I wonder if that year, you know, may have may have taken away some of his, uh, you know, best carries from the NFL. Then again, he was in Detroit, which God bless him. He had, he was on. Some would uh, argue
0: that that would shorten your career, too. I mean, yeah. You know.
1: Playing on a team that went winless in Detroit, that that'll shorten it up. Um, but, um, you know, nonetheless, you know, it, it's. it's great to catch up with him well-deserved hall of fame you knew he was going to get in there it was just a question of when and we're really happy for kevin so congratulations to kevin congratulations on all the inductees and we're not done yet right eric
0: oh no no we're not done we're actually in the process of working to hopefully have drew butera on uh who's now Murph? where is he he's right now with the colorado rockies just signed a a deal with them and he's kind of well, you kind of explain the situation, or you could know, explain it better than I he's can. In, right now, um,
1: he's in Albuquerque right now. There, Triple right. A, affiliate, Right, he signed a minor league deal. Is that it?
2: I believe Drew is on the move. I thought he was on the move again because I thought he had gotten traded again. Maybe he's still. Maybe he's still on the Rockies. Uh, I thought he was. Be- I thought he would actually move to like the, the Giants. But uh, I, again, I, oh. I, I'm, I I did not keep track of his entire entire like. I don't keep track of like Drew entire hey, life. Now you're I, freaking me as, out, man. It's, as this much as all the time. As much as as much as it might seem that I am stalking Drew Butera, uh, I, I don't.
1: I swear. Of course, All that's right. kind as of what of, that is. That I, is kind of what a stalker would say. As of April second, which is the day before we record this, uh, Butera excited to start the season with the Isotopes, the Albuquerque Isotopes. Yeah. Okay. Um, this is according to KOB four in uh, Albuquerque. Uh, New Mexico. So Drew is currently a member of the Albuquerque Isotopes, open to come back up to the big club, which for him is the Colorado Rockies. Um, once again, and we also got Allison Kime.
0: That's right. We'll have her interview on uh, in the future as well. She's getting in the arguably the best two-way softball player of the uh, is the best two-way softball player of all time at UCF. She'll join. Uh, we'll have an interview with her, and uh, we'll have all that on Black and Go banner. And I think you and you and me, Jeff, we might. Be doing a special Hall of Fame preview uh, show or something like that. I'm hoping.
1: I'm open. Yeah. It, well, remember, Hall of Fame comes up on the 12th, so uh, it should there be exciting, and it'll be uh, there'll it, be a lot of laughs, a lot of tears in that room, I'm sure, for the six inductees, including George O'Leary, Brandon Marshall, um, Eleni Reyes, as well, who uh, who, who will be joining uh, uh, the Hall of Fame class as well. All right, we're gonna take a break. Stick around, we'll be right back. We're gonna catch you up on baseball and softball when we return. This is the Black and Gold Banner at Podcast. Back after this.
2: just go to Cars.com. It's
1: magical. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Bannerhead podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you here on uh, the first, our first April show. Um, and that means if it's April, it's baseball, it's softball, and it's our chance to catch up on both those sports as well. We're first going to catch up on baseball with uh, Brian Murphy joining what? us. Yeah, I know. It's shocking, isn't it? I'm, I'm shocked. <laughs> well, let's uh, let let's catch everybody up on uh, how uh, how Love Ladies uh, guys are doing. They're 18 and 11, but they're mm-hmm. off to a very rough start in the American at one and five. They dropped two out of three over this weekend at home to UConn. Um, one game uh, was went 11 innings that they lost three to one. And then they got run ruled on Sunday, ten to nothing. They did win two to one in a in a real pitcher's duel on Friday. I don't want to take that away from them against uh, against UConn's uh, ace du jour, if you will, uh, uh, Mason Fioli. Um, They went toe to toe. But really, it's it's really quite miraculous because this team is uh, well. To paraphrase. Uh, Casey Stengel and the Knights are coming off a 13-4 win at Stetson. I didn't want to, you know, let that go by the wayside. But right, Murph
0: made the trip to Deland.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it's Deland, but um...
0: hey, you got to see Jacob Degrom's new uh, little yeah. what is it banner up there? You
1: know,
2: Retired. <laughs> they now they now have three banners celebrating Jacob Degrom
0: in that stadium. Two outside, hey, one yeah. inside. So, got to celebrate when you can. But uh, yeah, um, how many Klubers can... do they have in there? Corey Kluber, because they also have something for him, though. No? Yeah, of course,
2: they've one outside the stadium and one inside the stadium next to the Grams, but the Gram now has three, one inside the stadium and then one and then two outside the stadium, one
1: each for his rookie of the year and his Cy Young. Yeah. Wow. And the Mets are the Mets are still terrible. Uh that's that's for you, Anthony. Oh, 8%. that's a bad take. Um, I think that's a yeah. cold I think that's a nice cold take in about 3 uh, or 4 months. Yeah, sure. Okay. All right. I'll <laughs> I'll run with it. Um <laughs> uh, to paraphrase Casey Stengel speaking of the Mets, um mm. Can anybody pitch on this team? I mean, do they have anyone left who can pitch? (laughs) Uh,
2: Yes. Yes, they do, Jeffrey. (laughs) Uh, You mentioned mentioned it uh, Friday night against UConn. The one game they won in that series, uh, one of the most really it's it's a rare sight, a baseball game that goes sub two hours. Right. In one An hour, hour and nine minutes, hour right? and 59 minutes. There were still hints of daylight left <laughs> when we were doing the <laughs> post game interview with love lady after the game. Uh, and that was, that was authored by Grant Sherman, uh, the, the red shirt senior or redshirt transfer senior, uh, you know, a soft tosser, but really efficient quick outs. He and Fioli were going back and forth, just sort of a, like I said, a pitcher's duel, uh, in, in every sense of the word, did he get mad at you?
1: Did you call him a soft tosser? Like, what's that? About? He
2: he, he is a very much a soft tosser. He relies his best pitch is a changeup. I mean, it, it is what he is. Uh, you know, he threw I think 103 pitches. He can go up to 120, which at the college level is is a ton. Um, you know, and then I, I think even in a loss on Saturday, it was it was important to see Chris Williams have a really good start, give up one run over seven innings on Saturday uh, in a game that UCF lost three to one. Uh, but Chris Williams, who was the steadiest pitcher in that rotation last year, uh, had been getting crushed uh, in his last you know, few weeks. He needed a good start. And, it, you know, his his early season caused him to lose that Friday spot. He came back from uh, an early suspension and was inserted as the Friday starter because he had really earned that coming into the year. And they moved him back to Saturday because Lady said he just wasn't doing a good enough job. And it's true. He'd given up, I think, 16 earned runs in 14 innings before Saturday. And then uh, he really went out there, did well. Just did not get enough support from his offense. And then Sunday, uh, UCF gets ten run ruled for the first time since 2015. And I think more more frustrating is the fact that UCF now, dating back to the start of the 2017 season, is three and six on Sunday rubber match games. This, mm. Is, mm. this is these are your games in which you need to win to win the series. And UCF is three and six, and it happened again. And as long as we're paraphrasing old-timey Yankees, uh, to paraphrase, or to really to directly quote Yogi Berra, uh, or not really to paraphrase, it's getting late early out there for UCF. Hmm. Uh, because they are within one and five in the conference. They're five fullback of East Carolina, whom is 6-0 and and whom they got swept by a couple weekends ago. They do have a chance to get healthy a little bit against the South Florida team that is not the South Florida team that was as good as last year. That this, this team does not have you know, Shane McClanahan on its team this year. But with UCF, it's really hard to, to know what to expect because they can look great. Uh, they can look great as they did on Friday. And then they can get 10 run ruled less than 48 hours later. It's really I just don't know what to expect from this team uh, and really
1: any conference series. And yet I'm checking the RPI. Oh, and, boy. And there they are at 39th. Mm-hmm.
2: Not bad. Right. It's a steep drop from where they were, obviously, like less than two weeks ago. They were 18, if I'm correct. Right.
0: But yes. So yes it, yeah. When they got they dropped, uh, obviously, when they got swept at East Carolina. Yes. But uh, that's still not million. bad. That's still not bad territory. No, I mean, and, and, and by the way, they have good resume wins. Uh, you know, they have the Florida win. They have an Auburn win. But. Here's my, my question to you, Murph, on this. Because yeah. I kind of felt like this. I felt they had to have any chance of winning the UConn series with the Holloway injury. And I, and I know you don't have, a, I don't know if you, I doubt you have an update on that. I don't know if he'll be even available this weekend or not. But I feel like with their injuries they've had to their pitching staff as a whole, I almost feel like they almost have to try to win a series. They have to win the first two games. I feel as the series goes long and having an extra inning game on that Saturday didn't help to some extent. I just felt that, boy, they just really going to be thin the rest of the way here in, in these series as the series develops here. They can't – I mean, they, I mean, they got a benefit from that Friday night game where they didn't have to use a lot of arms. But that's my concern is in a three-game series, do, do they just get worn down? That pitching set gets worn down by Sundays.
2: Kind of, but, like, that wasn't really the case coming – I understand your point. Of like, they're thin in the bullpen, and it, it hurts even more when – guys who were healthy that, that were dependable guys like Garrett Westford who yeah. really was a big bridge for this this team uh, he, he was really a closer for a lot of last year and then this year was a really important piece in the seventh and eighth innings he has really struggled in the last two in last like a few weeks so they're down a lot of arms and then the arms they do have in the bullpen some of them right now are just not right so they really don't have a lot to fall back on but after what Sherman and Williams gave them against the huskies they pretty much, you know, kind of close. They kind of had close to a full boat going into Sunday, Uh, but it just, it it just fell apart quickly. And it, it, boy, it just, it was, it was frankly embarrassing. It wasn't, it it is embarrassing to get run ruled on your, uh, mercy ruled on your home, on your home field. I think we can all say that. Uh, It just, I don't know. I, I, and and unfortunately, I don't know what this team can do to really, you know, they get there they have to, it's like, they have to win two out of three against usf if they don't do that then i think we can say well i mean uh, this team probably is not going to make a tournament no i really believe that like if they fall to like two and seven in the conference after facing the top two teams and then usf at home they have a ton of road series coming up obviously uh and and just and i just you know they're not getting anything out of the bottom of their lineup and you know mike has been uh, matthew Micah, and tyler osic and ray alejo and at some point, Dallas Beaver, they've been really good consistently, one through four. But their, their, bottom, of, their bottom of the lineup isn't doing much, five through nine. And their bullpen is just banged up and struggling. And then, like I said, like Sunday is kind of a, a, a Johnny Holstaff type of day because they, they have Holloway injured. I will ask Love Lady tomorrow when I meet with him about Holloway. He told us last week that he might be able to come back this week. So we'll see if that's true. Um, but you know, Tyler Osik said before the UConn series that they need to win two out of three, uh, or or they're not going to be an at-large in the tournament. I thought that was kind of a rash statement, but it, you know, just the way they played and the way that series ended, it gives you a not much confidence heading into this series against a very average at best South Florida team. If they lose two out of three again at home, uh, we, Jeffrey can slam his panic button because I know he wants to. <laughs> Well, let me that, ask you that, this,
0: Murph. Let me ask you this real quick, because uh, the thing that's kind of confusing to me, Murph, is this offense. Like they have yeah. games where they just explode, like they did against Stetson and they and they hit the ball well against East Carolina, and, and Coach Lovelace even mentioned this to you, I think, in the post game on Sunday. Uh, you know, they got six hits off Frioli, who's the A's for UConn, is a oh, yeah. picture of the year candidate in the American, and then yet on Saturday and Sunday combined, the offense only had six hits. Like they, I it. How do you explain the the ups and downs of this offense?
2: Well, it's not good when again those four guys I mentioned, Micah, Osick, Alejo, and Beaver, they were five for forty in that series, yeah. and so those guys are going to go into slumps because slumps happen. Uh, but it's not good because really they're not getting anything on the bottom lineup. So when you combine both of those things, voila, you really have, are pretty toothless at the plate. The, they need guys like you know Dalton, Wingo, and Brandon Hernandez, and. You know, Chandler robertson has been pretty good uh, as far as you know making contact, getting on base, you know, out of the nine hole, but they they really need more. They just need more because like it's really been you know it's really been the top four guys that have been carrying them offensively. They need a full full attack. and you know Anthony George needs to be better. He's healthy and he's really struggling. and um, so I, that's what they're you know that's what really needs to be watched is what do they get out of five through nine? and if they're not continue, if they're gonna continue to struggle, uh, do the, you know? Does do guys like Matthew Micah uh, get pitched around, and uh, you know? And, and then there's just so much of a burden that's put on them when they're not getting much production out of the five through nine guys, and obviously they're gonna they're not gonna hit. Last weekend, they didn't hit, and thus UCF uh,
1: basically gets one run through uh, the last two games of the series. Well, here's one thing about this series coming up because they're playing USF this weekend um, that I think is interesting. Uh, that 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 I did want to ask you first. Well, first of all, what's at stake? UCF can actually clinch the All Sports War on I four Trophy if they win two games in this series. Um, I think they I think they need three points to clinch, and each game this weekend is worth two points in the All Sports Trophy series. So there, so there's that. First of all, so obviously that's extremely important. Um, but to use a, a wrestling term that I was trying to, that I was trying to give you guys earlier. Um, with USF and UCF both mired at 1 and 5 in the conference. They're both they're they're the bottom two teams in the league right now. Uh wow. I can't believe by the way. Can you believe that, that? Is right. ama- That's so, an amazing
0: statement to say. That is just just say that again
1: because that is I who would have thought no, that. No, I don't want to. I don't want to. It, it, I, <laughs> Sam, Sam's going to get mad at me. But um Murph, Loser leaves town match.
2: <laughs> leaves leaves town. Um, wow. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. By the way, both these teams have been swept by ECU. So if you're looking for ECU's six wins, they there reside between both. They reside between. <laughs> They're both really good, ECU's by the switch. way. Let's
0: just throw that out. There. They're really
1: breaking good. news. Yeah. ECU's no, good at pace. But back is
0: Brickhouse ever going to graduate? I feel like he's been there a <laughs> decade. <laughs> I agree. Just, with just that out.
1: I agree with this. It seems like he's
2: been there since I was a college student. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Uh, maybe he's okay. gonna find the the Michael Klubiali Fountain of Youth and Fountain of NCAA <laughs> Compliance Six and Seventh Years. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no. I mean, ECU's ECU's fantastic. We're we're not trying to slide them at all. They're they're clearly the best team in this conference. I don't so know. If it's went- close. I, I I don't know if it's close. Like it's like you know Connecticut might be the number two number two team in this conference. They got beat by Fairfield, I believe, last night. So just saying. Uh, you, it was really weird too. Like kind of weird. Again, baseball is weird, (laughs) but, um, UCF is eight. zero in the midweek games, you got about Florida VCU and Florida state. They beat Stetson last night in a torturous four hour game of the land. Well, they Uh, made up
1: for it from the game before the one hour 59 game. He had to get you back for that one.
2: There, there are, there are really good baseball games that run long. I enjoy long baseball games, three hours plus. This game was three hours fifty-six minutes of sitting around and watching guys walk to first base. It was really difficult. Did we ever? Get, was... Did
0: you ever do like I was texting Murph, I mean, not text. I was tweeting Murph, Like we were debate. I was trying to start a conversation in that press box. Like Kluber, Degrom, who do you take in a one-game deal if you're a hatter? Like who do you do? no one
2: I didn't. I didn't. I didn't ask anybody because I was like trying to watch the game. Uh, but I understand. <laughs> like my at, job, some, you know? at some point, at some point, I understand why Eric asked it because like. Do you really want to continue to watch this game? Because it was eleven guys- nothing
0: when I asked you. I had it on, on ESPN Plus and it was eleven nothing. Like what else is there to watch? It was nice <laughs>
2: look, it's nice for you to have to get a win. It was really cool for Ben McCabe to get his first collegiate home run, the freshman catcher.
0: It was really a kind of let me ask you about yes. him. Do you buy yes. there are people on the message boards, people or- some people are suggesting he should get more an opportunity to play more. Are you buying into that? They- <laughs>
2: look, they will take anything. If, 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 like somebody, they
0: will, yeah.
2: <laughs> if somebody's gonna hit from the bottom of the lineup, you know, you know, Anthony George, you know, missed a couple of weeks with an injury, but he's been really slow behind the, you know, uh, coming back, thirteen games in, hitting sub two hundred. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, if Ben McCabe's gonna drive the ball in the gap, yeah, sure, they'll play him. Like, are you gonna hit? Are you gonna hit out of, out of the seventh and eighth spots? Sure, you're getting in the lineup. Uh, but again, there was a there was a point in this game last night in which ten runs were scored. On the backs of two hits, two hits led to 10
0: runs. It was awful. <laughs> That's great. But we're undefeated in midweek, so what you're saying is we have to avoid playing on the weekend. Right. We need to
1: treat every, every game like it's a Tuesday.
0: Yeah. Or Wednesday. Okay, there you go. Just what, adjust, you, adjust, you
1: adjust your watches or something. Kind <laughs> right,
0: of so. well, what Josh Heipel did, right? Like, where, like, a Wednesday was really a Monday and all that, depending on the game of the week. Yeah. Where the game played, right? Yeah. Maybe Sunday should be a Tuesday.
2: Oh, there you go, boy. Uh, well, I mean, I haven't heard them say one. I haven't heard them say one and zero yet, though. <laughs> We've avoided that pitfall.
1: Yeah. Um, I'll give them some time. So, South Florida coming up this week: Friday, Saturday, Sunday, six, six, and one. Uh,
0: it's Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday.
1: Right. Well, and then the actual Tuesday, they're at Jacksonville. So, um, those are your four games coming up um, this week. All right, switching gears, I want to go over to softball, Eric Lopez, because. UCF is off to a very good start, six and zero in the conference, twenty seven and nine overall, uh, and they uh, they won tonight uh, actually against uh, Jacksonville at home, three to two. So uh, in walk off fashion, ELO, um, so you got yourself a little walk off action tonight, and UCF is now uh, they have a seven fifty win percentage through. Two, the first two thirds of the season, and you told me this earlier, and it bears repeating for those uh, for those listening. When was the last time UCF had a uh, had a seven have a seven fifty win percentage?
0: That was two thousand fifteen, a magical year where they went fifty and nine with two yeah. All American pitchers. Pretty good, pretty good. So,
1: um, this team is hot right now. You just it, it, it do you? What are you thinking about this right now? Are you expecting it to continue?
0: I think they're, they're in a really good spot, and yet I think they can get better. I think offensively they're still – like I think Coach Ball, even in that J.U., would be would like, man, I wish we could have – we should have gotten some more runs, get some more hits, and help our pitching. The pitching's great. Aliyah White right now is just locked in. She's locked in right now. she got a win tonight. She's so and, fun
1: to watch right now, man. She's, she got the she's winning. Got, she's got the thing. She's got, got the yeah. thing that, you know, we saw from Allie and – Yep. Uh, Shelby and 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 McKenzie and and Dottie before them. And it's it's fun to watch right now.
0: She's got the win in relief on Wednesday night against J.U. She got all three wins against ECU in Greenville. She's up to 62 career wins now. Tied for fourth all time with Ashley Cole. Allison Kime, as you mentioned, the Hall, going into the Hall of Fame, 71 wins. Uh, That's the record for most wins by a UCF pitcher in three years. Aaliyah's in her third year. She's already got 62. Allison's got 71. Mackenzie Otis is second at 78. Shelby Turnier at 80. Aaliyah, by the way, 19 wins. Top tied for fourth in the country in wins with players like Kelly Barney of Florida, who's a former player of the year, Megan King. Uh, So she's uh, just just playing at a very high level right now uh, pitching. But I think offensively they feel they can do some more things, and you know Savannah Jalila got to start on Wednesday night and here's a funny st- a cool story about it. Murph can help me out with this cuz Murph you covered the JU UCF baseball series earlier this year I believe right? You were there yes. when the uh, JU and uh, so Savannah No.
2: I don't think I was. I think I was out of town covering basketball. Oh that's right. That was the
0: you were the Houston game. Okay, so I was, I was
2: too busy still- I was too busy watching UCF basketball clinch the like arguably the best win in their in their program history <laughs> <laughs> before the BC. How
0: dare you? How dare you not cover baseball? I know. What do you think? I know. About? I know. Oh, no, but I know. um but you could probably help me out anyway because you obviously you covered covered – I know you wrote a, about that series, a preview, I recall. recalled.
1: Mm-hmm. Because yes.
0: Savannah Jalila, uh, older brother, is actually one of the better hitters on the Jacksonville team uh, who's I think hit second on the team uh, in the lineup there for JU. Um, so, in fact – so they, yeah, yeah. Thank you. See, I knew you would know this. That's why you're the guy. You're the baseball guy. That's why you do it. So Savannah obviously sparked them with a – she got the game-winning hit to run tonight when the, they got on base a couple times. And the thing – the reason I bring her up is, you know, that's one of the things Sydney Ball likes. She likes to use her bench and have multiple options off the bench and give certain players a day off here, kind of like a baseball team and a roster. So that's the big thing that's helped this team is they've got depth and they have options here. They can try to press different buttons to get wins, and uh, that's why they're in a role.
1: That's good stuff to see because – you know, right now UCF is six and zero, only undefeated team in the American. Tulsa's five and one, a game behind them. South Florida at four and two. Then you got a group of four teams at two and four, including their opponent this coming weekend in uh, Wichita State. The Shockers are twenty-one and sixteen. However, uh, real quick preview
0: of the Shockers. What are you expecting from them? Well, Wichita State's a very dynamic offense. They are without their best player, Bailey Lang, was a lefty pitcher who can hit. She's out for the year with an ankle injury, so. Uh, that's a big, this is a big stretch for UCF because you've got Wichita State here and then USF, a big series the following weekend, and then they go to Tulsa. Right now the top three teams in the America is UCF, USF, and uh, Tulsa. So I think this is a huge stretch that I think will help define the UCF season in 2019, but it's got to start with Wichita, a team that basically cost UCF the regular season title last year by sweeping them in Wichita with two walk-off wins and two wild games.
1: Yeah. Jack Straw from Wichita cut his buddy down. Uh, all right, so we'll be keeping an eye on that one with uh, Wichita State coming Friday at six, Saturday at two, Sunday at noon. And I think the weather should be okay. So I don't I don't know if they're gonna be moving those those games around at all, but keep an eye on UCF softball for It'll be better uh, weather
0: than they were in Wichita last year. I'll That's tell you that. True.
1: <laughs> and twenty seven and I, I mean the UCF could get to thirty wins this weekend already. Um which is uh, a big muscle. What a, what a job they've done under, uh, under Coach Ball Malone in her first year uh, at UCF. A fantastic job indeed. All right, stick around. we come back. We have a bunch more to talk about. It's kind of hit up a little bit, uh, a little women's basketball wrap. Uh, we'll talk about the Orlando Apollos wrapping up and the, uh, both the tennis teams as they're wrapping up their season here on the Black and Gold Banner Rap Podcast. Stick around. Back after this. And we're back here at the Black and Gold Bannerette podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you. blackandgoldbanneret.com UCF Bannerette, UCF underscore Bannerette on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Bannerette. We owe an apology, by the way, to Coach Abe and the UCF women's basketball team who finished up their season at 26-7, and 13-3 in the American, and... The reason why we owe them an apology is because we had last week's show was so stacked with the men's basketball game, the Duke stuff and all. And then the Johnny Dawkins stuff that we hardly even mentioned them. Now, I wonder if Coach A would be like, well, really, that's okay," because they lost their first round game to uh, Arizona State down in Miami. The final score was 60 to 45. Um Arizona State just kind of jumped on UCF from the very beginning and, and did not let up. That's a good team, Arizona State. Um, got
0: to the Sweet 16.
1: They got to the Sweet 16. Yeah, they they came out of that regional. They came out of that regional. Um, nice kept it tight with the defense, but it was really uh, in the first quarter, but it was really just that they, they knew what to do. They tried to key on uh, on KK Rice. She finished 8 of 19, 18 points to lead all scorers. Um or not to lead all scores but to lead UCF, but it was Courtney Eckmark who led all scores for uh, Arizona State who she had 4 threes, she had 20 points and seven rebounds in the game. They had a a 12 a, a, they got a 12 point 10 rebound performance from Kiana Ibis Arizona State did and when you got somebody named Ibis and you're playing down in Coral Gables on the campus of the University of Miami you know something's fishy. So um so, yeah, that's how the UCF season ends. And it's sad because, you know, we're not going to see a, a bunch of seniors. This team is going to look very, very different um, next year, Eric Lopez. I know, I know we watched the game, but um, Arizona State was just a better team. And I think do, – do you think that it was nerves or was it just Arizona State's just better?
0: They're taller. and That's kind well, of a yeah, problem. That's, you got, that's, that's they're a problem. taller. They dominated the boards and they were big. And I think that created some issues – by the way, the apology should be the NCAA women's, uh, the NCAA owes women's basketball apology. Move the tournament either before, or after the men's tournament. By going head to head with the men, you're going to get lost in the shuffle a- across well, the board. So that lo and behold, they played their game at uh at what was it,
1: seven o'clock on Friday, right? And and then we and then that was that was on ESPN two, and watch ESPN. And then the men's game was against VCU in the
0: first round was right after that. So. I mean, it worked yeah. out for all of us. We got a nice. Well, NCAA I disagree. Well, it worked out from, from a, yeah, well, the viewers, the, the television numbers disagree because nobody watched that game um, from the according to the numbers. But I, I disagree because like Danny white wanted to be at both events. He wanted to be at both games and he couldn't because they were literally on the same day in different mar- cities. I mean, you know, if they would push the tournament a couple weeks earlier or later, like softball, they start the tournament way earlier than baseball does. So there's a gap. And uh, I think it's the same way in soccer. And I think that's the biggest problem with women's basketball. So that's my two cents on it. It's disappointing because I had a jet plane ready to go cuz we were going to fly Murph out <laughs> to cover the women's game and the men's back and forth, but obviously we couldn't do it. So
1: well, you, got, you, had I S- you had the SP Nation Gulfstream I, ready to go? Is that what I
0: could have
2: used the jet I could have used the jet plane to fly to South Carolina. I mean, nobody <laughs> told me about
0: this. We just figured <laughs> you like driving. I mean, you know, Oh <laughs> man. I know, I know.
1: I I but did anyway. Point of, oh, go ahead, Eric. I'm sorry.
0: But I do want to say about the, the team. Um, they got dominated in the boards. I do think there were some nerves early, but I think the board Arizona State was just bigger and taller, and that created some difficulties there. And UCF couldn't make shots because I think length was an issue. And look, you we've brought this up all year, and who was going to be the second scorer, um, up opposite of KK Wright, and they didn't have one that night.
1: Yeah, I mean, K- Kayla Figpen, who usually is the one who fills that role was two of eight. They did a good job on her. Um, Masnikava had a pretty good game, three of six from the field, but UCF finishes the season in the first round of the NCAA. Here's the part that worries me. And we'll go over this just real quick, Eric. So UCF now loses seven seniors and, and uh, Tolua McCory is listed as a junior, but she, but she said that she's, she's hanging it up um, at the end of this season. Seven seniors, Nye Shuler City McDonald, Kayla Figpen, Jamisha Paul, Tolo, McCoy, uh, L'Oreal Wilson, and Fifi Door. These players combined for 59% of the total minutes, 48, or 49% of the total scoring, 54% of UCF's total rebounding this year, and 63%, 63.5% of their blocks on the interior, and 60.6% of their steals that's a lot of production that they're going to have to replace and uh, and and you know we've talked to people within the within UCF women's basketball and they're like this team's going to look a lot different next year because we got a lot of stuff to fix is it fixable well
0: let's hope yeah so. it's fix yeah i think so it's fixable i mean you've You're been talking go about a lot it.
1: Of pains i think though that's the thing with the freshmen coming in and and they do get Jalen Williams also who's a transfer from Penn State as one of their bigs coming in to replace Fifi Indoor, but still, that's a lot to replace,
0: right? But I mean, you gotta give. I mean, it's funny how fans are, <laughs> like, you know, in the last week or two, everybody's been talking about, oh my god, you know, we, what, what's going to happen with men's basketball recruiting? What's going to happen with recruiting? You know, like, can we let the coaches like bring in their players and see what happens first, and before like making judgments? Like, oh my god, what's gonna, you know, she's gonna bring in players that she's recruited, and yeah, I think her system. I think it will succeed with a lot of players. They're going to be young. You're right. But maybe Jeff, they might bring in some players. Yes. that could help in the scoring front, for example. Mm-hmm. And I, I think they're going to be good. She's, they've been good defensively every year. And I don't expect that necessarily to change, but yeah, they're going to be a little younger. And, but you also got some players you can build around with KK, Wright. I like Kaba a lot, um, you know, McDonald yeah. and somebody. So they've got pieces coming back to work around it. It's just going to be an interesting to see who they bring in and how they blend in and, Remember, this team, nobody had expectations on this team prior to this year. They were thinking about fourth place so right. in the conference. So, you know, we just got to give the coaching staff. I think they've earned the benefit of the doubt.
1: Kaba's back. Obviously, KK Rice back. Diamond Battles and Brittany Smith came. Brittany Smith really showed something this year uh, as a big. And then, of course, they, they add another big in Jalen Williams, um, who's uh, uh, who I mentioned before transfers over from uh, Penn State for one year. But – um yeah, not to mention the freshmen that they're going to have to bring in. There's just a lot of production they're going to have to replace, but that's where these coaches earn their money. And uh, it, what Coach Abe has done in these three years, twenty-win seasons, getting to the NCAA tournament for the first time, the first ever at-large bid in school history, just like the men. Um, big ups to this group, big ups to Coach Abe, and a job well done uh, this year for women's basketball. All right, I'm going to check in with uh, tennis real quick. we got uh, women's tennis. They're 18-2. and two. 5-0 and in conference. It doesn't really matter until you get to the conference tournament. But talk um, talk. about the talk about, you want to talk about the team that's the hottest team on campus. Uh, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 wins in a row. They haven't lost since January. Um, and uh, they've got number 12 Oklahoma State coming up on Friday. They are at Stillwater for this match. This is a big... Uh, dual match for them before they come back and finish the regular season on Saturday, April 13th against South Florida. So that's the women's tennis update for you. Men's uh, tennis looks like this. They're obviously still scuffling through at 11 and 9, but they did uh, knock off FAU seven to nothing in their most recent uh, in their most recent uh, dual match and they have two matches left to go. They're at South Florida Sunday, April 14th, so they got two weeks off. And Memphis on Monday, April 15th, at home to finish out the season uh, at 6 p.m. before the American Athletic Conference Championships, which take place coinciding with each other this year at the the Collegiate Tennis Center at the USTA National Complex. Men's tennis starts on the 18th, um, and women's tennis also goes through the 18th through the 22nd. I think the men, they start on the 18th, and they go through the 22nd. or they finished on the 21st. I think that's Sunday, Easter Sunday. So, um, and that'll be fun. You get sort of a double dip of tennis um, at the USTA tennis complex. So uh, best of luck to them as they roll forward. All right. Last thing I want to talk about before we get out of here. Um, and this week, the, uh, as you guys know by now, the uh, Alliance of American football uh, announced that they were shutting down operations after eight weeks of play. The Orlando Apollo's, and their five UCF players on their roster had uh, the teams had the league's best record at seven and one, and they had four, or, t- or rather two, um, regular season games at Spectrum Stadium left to go, plus another playoff game. They had clinched the playoff game. They were going to play against Birmingham, and the season comes to an end. And it's really sad. It's sad for um, the five UCF players on the Apollos, and also Justin Holman, who is on the Atlanta Legends. Uh, and uh, also they lost, uh, and also the, all the staff, a lot of them with UCF ties as well, um, from our, b- our buddy Tom Alexander, who is a, a, who is a guest on the show, to a couple other uh, folks as well. So yeah. I, I guess my question is, you know, all the things about how the AAF went down aside, can pro, uh, can pro football outside the NFL that is not backed by the NFL work at all? Sure, the predators worked. Is it, it, it? I mean, are we counting arena football on this? I mean, because well, how, I mean, val- how valuable yeah, is it's arena football? Okay, but how valuable is arena football in helping develop talent? Because that was one of the, that was one of the goals, and you know, and in uh, of the AAF, and in addition to that, you know, that's why, um, uh, these players. You know, guys like Rennell Hall and, you know, Jordan McRae and Aaron Evans and Chris Martin. That's why they are in the AAF is because it was their last best opportunity. And and to see it go like that, you know, I I mean, are they going to get that same chance with with like the with the Orlando Predators?
2: I understand. I understand that this is not great and it's been handled poorly by. The league executives and 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 the the chairman of the league or whatever he wants to call himself, Uh, principal uh,
1: investor Tom Dundon.
2: Yeah, it's it's awful. It's it's not what it's not how you treat people. Period. But I am only saying that I'm sure it can work without without the NFL's backing. But I I I just know your argument to this, Jeffrey, because we talked about it off air before the show, and I want to say beforehand I am completely against. Uh, what you are about to uh, per, like surmise about Orlando Pro Football?
1: <laughs> well, I got an article coming about. Um, I-, I think Orlando Pro Football is cursed. Outdoor Pro Football is cursed.
2: That is so ridiculous. It makes. <laughs> <my sense. laughs> I'll
1: I'll explain I'll explain why I-, I I shall I shall explain myself. Um, in here in Orlando, we have had. Six different pro, professional outdoor football franchises, all right, since 1974. Of the six, they played a total of eight seasons. Here's where it gets to the cursing, okay? I couldn't I'm believe curs- this. Morning. I'm
2: cursing, I'm cursing at your argument,
1: <laughs> okay? Of those eight seasons, that whichever Orlando team we're talking about, whether it's the Thunder, the Renegades, the Florida Blazers, the Orlando Rays, the Florida Tuskers. Six times the team in question finished at least tied for first in their respective leagues, divisions, conferences, whatever. Made the playoffs six times. All six times, they either, they, and in actually in four of the six times, they lost in the championship game by four points or less. Um, the only other times that they didn't lose in the championship game, the Orlando rage lost in the semifinals by one point, uh, of the XFL. Uh, the Apollos obviously didn't finish the season. And, uh, and we had two teams that missed the playoffs entirely. The Orlando renegades in the USFL. And then the first year of the Orlando thunder in the world league under Don Matthews, coincidentally, Eric Lopez, um, those were the only two Orlando professional football teams with which Lee Corso was involved. There you go. Uh, so, so what? So I don't know if we can call. Well, it the Tusters got to the championship game, right? They got to the championship game twice, lost in That's overtime right. once, and lost on a blocked field goal the second time.
0: Yep. Yes, they did. So I was a part of that, and, and I actually contributed uh, on their game day of activities. So. I, I guess that's, what's I, I called it? It? Call call the They're not cursed. I mean, here's the reality of this, and 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 again, I you know, you and I have been on complete opposite sides on this. I don't think anybody wants more football. I don't. Uh, nobody wants more outdoor football, and they certainly don't want football that. I mean. People want NFL quality football, and they don't need a – fight. here's the thing. The NFL, you could – I would argue that even if the NFL backed it, it wouldn't succeed. There's this thing called NFL Europe that the NFL backed that didn't work out either. Oh, nope. no, no, I, I would disagree with that because is it still that, around? Worked, that worked for 12
1: years. It's not around anymore, is it? It, it? It's not around not because it wasn't a success. It's not around because of the, because of the, uh, the economic collapse in 07 and 08.
0: Oh, that, I mean, but that's the thing. See, here's the thing. That's, your, that's the point. A lot of things have to go right for a league to work, period. Forget football. Just a league, period. A lot of things. Investors actually have to be guys that you could believe in and not be crooks, uh, which is what I think happened here. You have to have somebody that is competent. It's easy to say, oh, we're okay losing money the first three years. No, 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 no. You're going to lose money. Are you going to stick with it? Um, you got to have the right TV deal. you got to have a lot of things go right. Now, Orlando has been successful in supporting these teams because I think Orlando has good sports fans. But I don't think there's a market for football. Not anymore. Uh, look, the Alliance ratings were dropping week by week. They were down 30 to 35% every week. They were down to about 200,000 viewers by the last week. There was no buzz. And the reason, there's no star players. There's no players. You can only sell your coaches so much. Um, and that 's the problem with these leagues they don 't have the best players at the end of the day, and you can 't trick the fan base and you can 't trick the, the the consumers into that it just doesn't it doesn 't work that way there 's nothing wrong with it I, The MLS has the same problem the MLS is not going to be bigger because a soccer fan knows that 's not the best league in the, in the world they 're not they 're not close to an English premier League, and that 's the issue that football in the spring has but what about the, the what about the angle of you know, the NFL,
1: which they've got on the record several times they say, look, we need a developmental league. We really that's don't just care. Talk. About you know, and they, they don't
0: believe a word. Don't buy no, it. No, no, they, no. They have one. No, they have one. It's called college football. They, they don't have to pay a cent. Okay, there would be. That's
1: where they farm talent from. But if you're talking about yep. guys that you need to develop that, that, you know, that are out of college, right? Yep. Yeah, those guys need a place. To, those guys need a place to develop, don't they?
0: Yeah, There's yeah. it's called OTAs. For- it's called OTAs and training camp. That's what yeah, they do. It's not the they, same as game action. You know that. But here's the problem. That's the the point is that the NFL will never, no team will ever allow players to play in another league over an OTA or no. Not with the risk of injuries. Absolutely not. It will never happen. That's the point. That's why it was so hilarious about this, like, no, the NFL was never, the players were never going to sign off. Yeah, sure, we're going to play in this league. No, because those bodies, as crazy as it sounds, and as much as we'll mock the fact how pointless OTAs are and training camps are, these coaches want every player there, even if it's, quote, voluntary. Uh, uh, it's- wait,
1: and I would make a point with the OTAs is that with the latest collective bargaining agreement, like, there's a lot less of that now. So there's a lot fewer opportunities for these guys to develop. And that's why the NFL is kind of jumping on board. And I'll guarantee you with the next CBA, there's probably going to be even fewer practices like that.
0: Yeah, but you still are there learning the playbook and learning the deal. You're not going to just – this is not baseball where you could just farm out a guy to double A. It's just never going to happen. It's just not – the NBA is trying to do that with the G League. And, you know – it's not going to work for marquee players. You might get like a 12th man that, you know, here and there could hop in back and forth. But no, it's not going to happen. It's never but, going to but, but, but
1: that's what I'm saying. Isn't that the point?
0: What? That, that, that's,
1: where, that's where you get those fill-in guys from. And maybe the occasional guy turns into, you know, a decent contributor to a start or whatever. But it's, it's, it's those guys spending, in that tail end not, of the bell curve.
0: You might get a player too, but it's not worth spending millions of dollars for it. It's not, it's not, I'll give you a good example. All right.
1: And this will be our last thing. I'm, you guys know, I'm a New York giants fan. All right. Um, I'm also a, uh, I'm also a Miami dolphins fan. They're my number two team. Clearly. All right. Um, let's say the draft kind of goes sideways and neither of these teams get the quarterback that they're, that they're kind of looking for in the draft. Wouldn't they be in the market for a guy like, say, Garrett Gilbert of the Orlando no, Apollo? No, the
0: Why no, not? No. Because they already have their quarterbacks. The Dolphins signed their quarterback. They're going to tank. That's the point. Yeah, that's the point. If you don't have a quarterback, you just tank and try to get one in the draft. That's the whole point. You're not just going to go isn't get that,
1: somebody. Is, but that's bad for business, isn't it? If you're, say, if you're just openly saying, hey, everyone, let's get excited for Ryan Fitzpatrick. Well, that's what's going to happen this year. I mean, that's what's going to happen. I mean, I we're ready? If I'm a Dolphins fan. I would have, I, I would, I would buy into this guy who was lighting up this other league. Hell, game no, game I wouldn't. Hell than, no. Then tired Fitzmagic Magic, that goat that disappears after week six. Come on.
0: But that's what we know. But that's the point. See, the Dolphin fan doesn't want to win. They're tired of eight and eight and six and ten. We want a tank. We want Tua. That's the point. <laughs> we do not. So <laughs> we no. want the worst two quarterback one, possible. One, two. <laughs> it's, it's not going to no. happen. I mean. At, yeah, by yeah. the right, way, here's the problem. Here's the problem. to two of the Dolphins. You can mark that down right now. Well, here's the problem. Here's the problem. You're not going to like this comment, but it's reality. Garrett Gilbert, at best, is a third-string quarterback in the NFL. Here I disagree. If he was an NFL quarterback, he wouldn't be in the Alliance. That's not true. Okay. Aaron why Murray not, NFL was
1: NFL quarterback. Why wasn't he in the he NFL? In the the Josh, Johnson, by the way, Josh Johnson, by the way, was the number one pick in their quarterback draft and got pulled okay. back from the AAF into the NFL at the end of the season and ended up starting several games for the Washington Redskins.
0: So that disproves your point right there. Well, the Redskins are not a real NFL franchise, so that doesn't count. A, uh, yeah, well, that's a, a Of course— These, of course, these, course, are, these are not impact—but here's the point. The bottom it's, line it's, is— would say that go, when you're wrong, is you'd say something stupid like We that. can go okay. back and forth on this, but there's no impact players. They're going to come from this league. And as a result, there's not. Let me know when they come, because it's not going to happen, and it's never going to work. Except I do think the XFL will last just because Vince is stubborn enough to lose money and can try to force this for a couple years. But that won't work either. So it's not like I'm picking on one or the other. I was a part of the UFL, or the, the, the league that the Tuskers were in. I actually helped out on game days with spotting for the internal PA guy. With Jay Gruden as a head coach. And that was, in fact, I will tell you that this the UFL was a better much better product than the alliance they actually had offense in that league, and that fa- and that didn't work so if that didn't well, the work...
1: the aAF had offense.
0: offense no it didn't yeah it nobody didn't. scored anybody no. uh, nobody scored outside of orlando
1: no that's false that's that's completely false oh you're just an apologist for the league that's, no I'm not no. an apologist I actually did the math games the games were more entertaining act the games are statistically actually. More entertaining than the NFL by average because there were six.
0: A, because we're there's
1: six angry, 63% of the AAF's games after week one when they worked out the Kings. 63% of their games were decided by one score or less. You know how many were decided in the NFL in 2018? No, 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 no. Do, you Do you know how many? Do you know how, points?
0: No, how many, many? Points. My questions.
1: Answer my question. Answer my question. How many
0: points did they score? Answer
1: my question. Do you know many how
0: many? How how many?
1: How, no, don't change the subject. Answer my question.
0: Seven to six games are not exciting.
1: They weren't seven to six games. They didn't have seven to six games. No game had seven it's to six. Who's
0: the most recognizable player in the league? Garrett Gilbert. No, it isn't. I Johnny think- Menzel. No,
1: no. Johnny Menzel played like four snaps. He wasn't the most recognizable <laughs> player in the league.
0: Ask the casual I would say person. Or, Trent, or Trent Richardson. I think it's Johnny. If you ask the casual person, it's Johnny Menzel.
1: <laughs> and, look wh- and look how that ends up. He's a failure. No, no NFL team is going to Was going to was going to bring him in. He's a he's a desperation play at best. So, but by the way, it's it's oh, fifty-three so percent of NFL games are decided by one score. Fifty-three.
0: Yeah, so. they play a longer. Well, you know, maybe if the Alliance would have finished their season, we would have maybe would have found out.
1: Yeah, but I mean, fair. fair. But they didn't because of vulture capitalism. That's why.
0: Bad investors. You need good investing.
1: Oh. Well. I don't think you know anything about investing, but the but the bottom line is they were they, they were the league was sold off for
0: parts by a vulture capitalist. And we everybody warned this. Everybody knew this was coming after week two, and they tried to spin it. up that's part not, of the That's not true. That's not true. And, oh, that's well, also not true because if you've well, been
1: uh, if you've been reading Ben Kirschvill on uh, on CBS Sports. That's not how it went down. Now the league suffered from a lot of negative publicity because because of a a couple of things going back and forth that seemed to coincide with one another. But that's not how it It rushed
0: the league. He should have waited another year or two and make sure you have solid fundings. But he wanted to get a head start on Vince in the XFL because he stole his idea from Vince when they did that documentary because he's trying to live up to his father's legacy. So Charlie actually screwed this up. They all are a fail- They are terrible people. I have no sympathy for them. And it's unfortunate that innocent people got- are victims of this that lost jobs because of greedy people like Charlie Ebersole and your boy from the, Charlotte Hur- uh, the you know, Carolina Hurricanes.
1: Well, he's not my boy. He's. Uh, I, I hope. I hope for the record, and this is a good spot to end it. I hope for the record, on behalf of all of the people that we know that worked with the AAF, the players, the staff, the coaches, the, the coaches, the assistant coaches, that the Carolina Hurricanes never win another
0: hockey game in their life, ever again. Well, so let me ask you. I make mean, a real quick question. Would you support? The idea that – and I like this like, that Vince buys the Orlando team, names them the Apollos, and joins he can't, the X- – he can't, he can't buy a team.
1: It's sure, a central – No, because it's not a franchise like the NFL. You can't buy a team. You can only – the, the AAF was a, is a central entity. It's a single-entity corporate structure.
0: But I'm, what I'm saying is you could put a franchise – Vince could put a team in Orlando – and if they decide they can name it the Apollos, play for the trademarks, or they can rename it the Rage. Whatever. Would you support it?
1: Mm, yeah, because it's in Orlando, but I dislike Vince McMahon tremendously. Um, I would not support it as much as probably I did the AAF team. It, de- it it depends. It would depend on, you know, how many UCF guys are on there. If there are UCF guys on there. Um I don't know. I don't know. I I, I think I, like you, think that any league that's – well, not quite like you. I think that any team that's – any league that's not backed by the NFL is doomed to failure, largely because of economics. And not talking about fan support and media, media structure, but because of insurance costs. Insurance is, insurance is extremely hard to come by. That's the one thing that the AAF really had a lot of trouble with was insurance costs. And that's only going to get more difficult as we learn more about post-concussion syndrome and all that. So I think Vince has an uphill battle. I'll, to be honest with you, I'll still be surprised if that league takes one snap in 2020.
0: I'll still be shocked. Well, they're going to take a snap. How many more snaps after that? Who knows? And uh, trust me, if, and Murph can back me on this. If the, road, if, if the XFL is like the road to WrestleMania this year, it'll be a colossal, terrible product. Because this <laughs> WrestleMania is going to suck, Murph. <laughs>
2: Guys, here's the real problem. <laughs> the Red Sox pitching is not very good. <laughs> they're, getting, they're losing again this to the A's. Problem. This is Nathan, not Nathan a Nathan Ivaldi is getting hit around again. Do you have any healthy bodies left? The, do the, whom? Do the Red Sox or the A's? The Yankees. The Yankees. <laughs> Can't no, anybody but, play this game? <laughs> no, because they lost Troy Tulawitzki today. So if you want to go play shortstop for the New York, New York Yankees, <laughs> write, the, write the address to New York Yankees. <laughs> can,
1: Jeter, yeah. can Jeter still play?
2: No, probably not. But I, uh, on a serious note, honest, I, I want to say one thing about whatever it is that you guys spoke about for about 30 minutes right there. <laughs> I just want to say one thing. And I believe this. Okay. I, I believe this in my heart. Uh Garrett Gilbert is not an NFL quarterback. Please
0: yeah! stop. Please Thank stop. Boo. Thank you, Murph. Boo. That's it. Murph, for Boo. you the Special Mania card's terrible? I, it's you know what the, the Special Mania
2: card has no juice. Like like even like like what do we okay, we've built up the Becky Charlotte Ronda Rousey match really well. What other match on this card has been built up at all? None. Nothing.
1: See, folks listening at home, Murph is now getting me back for this AAF talk right now, <laughs> as as you're hearing right now. <laughs> I, I will say, I will say, I will say this about wrestling. You know who followed me on Twitter today? Cal Bloom. Yeah, he followed me former, too. So former don't, you're not CF stuck. player who's at the WWE Performance Center, Cal, you are officially. I'm declaring this right now. You are officially <clears throat> the favorite pro wrestler of the Black and Gold Banner podcast. Jeffrey, we've, no been trying so. to get you, we've been trying to get
2: you into wrestling. I know you're, I know you're not going to watch WrestleMania this Sunday. I'm mean,
1: pro-wrestling curious. And I, but you, know, you
2: really, like, just watch. Like, Eric, I think you agree with me. If, Je- if Jeff got to see, like, one Ricochet match, I think that would be a <laughs> good starter for Jeffrey.
0: I think we got to start him with, I think he's, I mean, the question is when is he going to go to Full sale to watch NXT? Because that's where you right. know, Bloom will probably start I, I, off. Yeah, I, I want to say, uh, listen, uh, Cal... Listen, Cal, if you're listening, you got to tell
1: me when you're on Twitter, when the next, when you're going to be up there. OK, because I will I will show up. All right. All right. Good. I will be one of Bloom's bandits or whatever it is that you want to say it is. I'm, <laughs> I'm there. I'm, I will be fully clothed, but I I'll be there. All right. And <laughs> I'll bring I'll bring Murph and I'll bring Lopez and, uh, and and it'll be a good maybe we'll bring love lady, too.
2: Oh, he'd love it. I can't wait to see because, you know, Greg Lovelady wears a wrestling t-shirt to the park for every Sunday home game. So uh, I think I'll wait until Sunday to ask. But I, I do wonder what t-shirt of the literally, Eric, you know, dozens of t-shirts that he has. Yeah. Uh, no. w- will he wear Sunday, WrestleMania Sunday against USF to the park? We'll right. But- I mean,
0: Well, you know, and you gotta, I mean, yes. Does he have, yeah. Does he go with an active wrestler in the (laughs) WrestleMania card? Does he go with like a Shawn Michaels deal? Like, does he go retro? Like, you know, does he have a Kurt? You know, that's very fascinating. And obviously,
2: and obviously we know he's pulling for Seth Rollins over Brock Lesnar. I mean, he picks Seth Rollins to win the WrestleMania, win the Royal Rumble, which he was correct about. So uh, I I will, maybe I'll ask him uh, tomorrow about uh, the Becky Charlotte Ronda match. See if he's got to take there. This is what intrepid reporters do, Jeffrey. We don't wonder about Garrett Gilbert's NFL prospects. Thank you. Which I will say, say, if he wasn't good enough to be better than Dan Orlovsky in 2015 or be better (laughs) than Connor Cook or Matt McGloin in 2016, he's not going to be an
1: NFL quarterback. Mm. Colin Kaepernick would like a word, by the way. Colin Kaepernick Um, was good. (laughs) I, I know. That's what I'm saying. Um, all right, that seems like a good place to wrap it. Uh just real quick, where you got now that we're in the lean part of the year, right? We can kind of throttle back a little bit with ba- with basketball out of the way. Uh, what are you guys working on? I'll start with you, Murph. I'm going to see if baseball... <laughs> you're, catching <laughs> I'm up, getting... you're catching up on you're catching up on sleep first of all, I know that.
2: I <laughs> did sleep. no, that was Wednesday. It was Wednesday. I'll be back out there Thursday. I'll see if uh, Trevor Holloway. Will be on the mound at all this weekend for UCF. And uh, also, this really weird thing that, that Lovelady brought up on Tuesday night about how Jordan Spicer was having a hard time seeing the pitch calls from his catcher. And Lovelady said, like, yeah, he couldn't really see the pitch calls. That's why we pitch him on Sundays a lot because he doesn't have to worry about that because it's a day game. Like, wait, wow. wait, 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 wait. Are you, are you saying your pitcher can't see the calls from the catcher? He said this, so I, I I gotta follow up on that. I didn't have a lot of time to do it yet. last night at Stetson, but uh, what I can't get him some like contacts or even some some little glasses or anything. Oh,
1: Boy, I, I, yeah, now now this, now that that scene in uh, in Major League is coming in with. Uh, I know. <laughs> Wild Sam
2: Sam Unger has Sam already sent, sent me. A, okay, I saw Sam right. Unger has already sent me a Charlie Sheen gift, so he's got it covered. He's already beat you to the punch there. <laughs>
0: Lopez, what you got? That's a heck of a follow there. Um, I'll be calling the UCF Wichita State Series this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then uh, maybe at some point I'll swing by and see how Murph's doing at baseball afterwards in one of those games and broadcasting the baseball stuff. And then I know there's going to be content up there where I've got comments from uh, a lot of the former teammates and former coaches on all of the Hall of Fame inductees like uh, Allison Kime and... Alini Reyes, and we got. I think comments from. Uh, I got comments from Jerry O'Neal, as a matter of fact, talking about Brandon Marshall and Kevin Smith. All that stuff's going to come out uh, on Black and Gold Banner. Should be fun. And I'm
1: actually putting together an article that uh, I know you guys are very excited to see um, about how Orlando's pro football teams, outdoor football teams, are
0: cursed. Oh, um,
1: God. And I have oh. video evidence of all of it. It's it's a it's a it is a Zapruder film, black and gold banneret investigation on uh, <laughs> on the curse of Orlando pro football. And I'm not going to give you any further details. You're just going to have to wait for it to come out. It'll be coming out.
0: Question. Short. So if, if the Apollos would have won the league, does the banner go up at Spectrum? Yes. Put it up. Beb. Put it up there, baby.
2: I will say, did you, did you see the little back and forth that Rick, Rick Neuheisel and Steve Spurrier had on Twitter tonight? Yeah.
1: I did not see that. No, no, no. Yeah. I, know th- I know that FanDuel said that they were honoring the Apollos as the, uh, as the AAF champs. And if you put out a future bet on the Apollos to win the league, they paid it out. Yeah. So, so me, anyway, that sounds about as official as it gets.
2: But Rick Neuheisel is saying, no, 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 his team. And who does he coach, Jeffrey? You would know. I
1: don't know. That would be the Arizona Hotshots, by the way, so, which is a— a much better branded franchise than the Arizona Cardinals ever were. I just wanted to say that. But anyway.
2: Sure, whatever. Anyway, the, the <laughs> hotshots because they beat the because they beat the Orlando team. Rick Neuheisel is saying no, the hot shots are the champions. Steve Spurger claps back at him by calling him stop. Rick. he calls him Ricky New. Ricky yeah. New yeah. and yeah. says, No, we're the champs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> The reason newheiser made that case, right, was because they beat him head-to-head? I believe. No, he yes. said,
1: here's what he said. Ricky knew too much tequila for you. <laughs> good morning.
0: Okay. Apollo
1: 7-1, and 1, Hot Shot San Antonio, and Birmingham, all 5-3. and 3. Congrats on second place. Oh, this is great. Yeah, no,
2: so we, at least, at least out, of the, out of the ashes of this league, we got that Twitter beef. That was
1: fantastic. Oh, God, inject this right into my veins. I love it. All right. Um, that's going to do it for us here on the black and gold Banneret podcast. Make sure you follow us. Uh, at black and gold Uh, make sure you also, uh, follow all of us individually on Twitter, Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez, Elo spokes underscore Murphy. Also don't forget Luke Saris, SBN, our buddy, Jeremy Brenner as well at Jeremy Brenner. Um, all of his, he's by the way, Jeremy is so locked in on the Houston rockets right now. Cause he's a Houston guy. And, and we're coming down the stretch in the NBA, in the NBA playoffs. Yep. Um, it's nuts. I, I, if I now know more about the Rockets than I know about the magic for crying out loud because of him. Um, I also want to, uh, uh, uh so make sure you follow uh Zach Goodall. Who's going to be, um, who's warming up for the NFL draft, uh, as well. Who am I missing? Oh, Derek Warden and all of his photo galleries. Thanks to Derek as well. Um, who just does a fabulous job for us. And yeah, uh, all those photos that you see that that look, th- the best ones, they're him. Okay. okay they yep, so thanks again, Derek. Thanks again to everybody. Uh, to those of you listening, make sure you follow us also on Twitter, UCF underscore banner at Facebook.com slash black and gold banner at for Eric Lopez and Brian Murphy. I'm Jeff Sharon. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the black and gold banner at podcast. Enjoy the first weekend in April. I'll catch you next week.